0: Before you're born again, you are an enemy of God. The scripture says once we've reached that age of accountability, we are by nature children of wrath. And so you don't have peace with God if you don't know Christ, if you are not a member of his kingdom, and you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God.
1: Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogey senior pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in a study of the Revelation, the last book of the Bible, which is largely prophetic and which paints a grim picture of a time when God will no longer be patient with man over our rebellion against Him, and He'll exercise judgment on the earth to all who have not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. Having looked at these judgments over the past several weeks, Today we turn our attention to chapter 17 and a city that is called Babylon.
0: We've been learning that the Bible teaches that in the end times, right before Jesus comes, the greatest political leader will step to the plate and rule for seven years before his second coming. Revelation 13 and verse 17, we spend four chapters studying this one world ruler in the 13th chapter because he is so important. To the providences of God and how God will unfold human history. But that man with great power will have authority, the Bible says, over every tribe, people, tongue, and nation. He will rule with a dynamic that is captivating, that is cunning, that is deceptive, that is demonic. And he will be able to consolidate the peoples of this world together. This man will be indeed Satan's man. He will be Satan's ruler. He will come to mimic the true Christ, the Antichrist who will come in the place of Christ. He will be an anointed one, but not by God Almighty, but by Satan himself." Now it's very difficult in our day to find political unity. It seems like one day all the politicians agree, and the next day they're all at odds. A few years ago, everyone wanted a wall, including the last president, the Speaker of the House, everyone wanted a wall. Now today, well, there's some who want a wall and some who don't. I mean, how can you change your mind so fast? People are so fickle politically. Now, it is true at times, sometimes Republicans will cross the aisle and vote with Democrats, or Democrats will vote with Republicans. But most often, they vote differently. Well, how in the world are all the religions Of the world going to come together and all the political entities going to come together through a man known as Antichrist. And that will be the subject of chapters 17 and 18 of a place called Babylon that will have a religious dimension to it and will have an economic dimension. We're going to be camped out in these chapters for a few months, Today we're going to crack the door and just look at two verses and give some foundational truths that will open up these two chapters to you, but I want to begin by reading the first five verses, so follow along in your Bible, Revelation 17, beginning now in verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, "'Come here, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters.' with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality. And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a cup of gold full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth." Now, it would be helpful for us to remember the context, because without a context, you have a pretext, and you can easily miss the meaning of Scripture. So just put in your minds where we are in the Revelation. God gave us a divine outline for this book in Revelation chapter 4, therefore, write the things which you've seen. That's the past. That's recorded for us in Revelation chapter 1, as John has that magnificent vision of the exalted Christ in heaven write John the things that are. That's chapters 2 and 3, as he writes of seven churches that are present in his day. And then he says, write the things that will take place after these things. That's the future. So, beginning in chapter 4, all the way through the end of chapter 22, you are in the after these things section of the Revelation. It's futuristic. And of course, twice over in chapter 4 and verse 1, he mentions After these things, and of course, the careful reader would say, after what things? After there's a door opened in heaven to let the church in. And so we saw in Revelation 4, 24 elders, and we examined how 24 is a representative number in the Word of God of a mass of people. and These 24 elders represent the body of Christ, the church that are worshiping in heaven. And we see God in the fourth and fifth chapters setting the stage for the judgments, and then beginning in chapter 6, all the way until the second coming in chapter 19, there is these series of 21 judgments that come in the form of seals, trumpets, and bowls. We studied first in chapter 6, the seven-sealed scroll, as this chart reminds us. We saw the first four seals were the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Then we saw a fifth seal that represents the martyrs, people who come to faith in Jesus during the time of the Great Tribulation. If you are here today and you do not know Christ as your Lord and the rapture were to take place, if that door were to be opened today, it will be too late for you. You will not be a part of those who come to faith and who are martyred. You'll be a part of those who will go against God's people in that day. People who prior to the rapture heard the Scripture in clarity and power will have no opportunity whatsoever to call upon Jesus in faith. But the millions from every tongue, tribe, and nation will hear. Jesus said it will be during this time, the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. What we've been trying to do for 2,000 years is going to be fulfilled in this final seven-year segment of history. And so millions are going to be martyred because they followed Jesus as Lord. And then in the sixth seal, we saw some cosmic changes, and all the way through the Revelation, there are these events that take place in the sky. And then before the seventh seal, there's an interlude. That's Revelation chapter 7. There's 144,000 Jewish men who are saved. They become God's preachers, God's men who preach the gospel to the whole world. 144,000 Jews. Why? Because God does not teach replacement theology. God's Word is clear that He has not done with Israel. Augustine was wrong. Origen was wrong. Calvin was wrong. Luther was wrong. They were right on a lot of things, but they were wrong on God's people Israel. God has a future for the Jewish people. God is setting the stage in our day for Jesus to come back through the Jewish people. And during this seven-year period, 144,000 mighty men of God will be preaching the gospel to the whole world and millions will be saved. And then the seventh trumpet, the seventh seal is opened and in it are contained seven trumpets. Here's the relationship here in this next chart between the sealed trumpet, and bowl judgments. There are seven seals. In the seventh seal are seven trumpets. In the seventh trumpet are contained seven bowls. Now, understanding the architecture of the Revelation is critical to your understanding how this book unfolds. God gave us a divine outline, the things that are the past, chapter 1, the things that are, 2 to 3, the things that will be, 4 through the end of the book. And in the will be section, beginning in 6 through 19, you have this series of judgments. There's seven, seven, and seven. In the seventh seal are contained seven trumpets. In the seventh trumpet are contained seven bowls of wrath. So here's the seven trumpet judgments of the Revelation. And once again, between the sixth and seventh trumpet, just like between the sixth and seventh seal, there's an interlude. Not in the action but an interlude in the narrative so that we can see what God has been doing as the sealed judgments were unfolding. And now in chapters 10 through 14, God gives us again a peek of what He is doing as these trumpets are being blown. And so, if you remember in chapter 10, we met the angel with his little book. And then in chapter 11, we saw two witnesses who, in addition to the 144,000, are preaching the gospel, and God is using a number of signs, wonders, and miracles through them. They mimic the ministries of both Moses and Elijah. And then the seventh trumpet is blown in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. And there it's announced, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever endeavor. And you think the book should end there, and here comes Jesus. But it doesn't. He continues in this interlude. And we're going to see the effects of the seventh trumpet when we come to the bold judgments. And so, if you remember, in 10 through 14, he is once again reviewing some things that have been happening during the trumpet. But he is also previewing some critical personalities that we're gonna need to know about for the rest of the book, along with some critical events that are yet to take place. And Then the seventh trumpet, when you come to the 15th chapter, you can see on this chart, it's not part of the interlude. It's not part of the interlude uh, when you come between the sixth and seventh trumpet. Chapters 10 through 14 are. Why is not chapter 15? Because chapter 15 is part of the introduction to chapter 16, where the bowl judgments are poured out on the earth. I suppose if I were making the chapter and verse divisions that come a thousand years after the Bible is complete, I'd put 15 and 16 together. But in 15, we're introduced to seven angels who have seven bulls of wrath. But again, the structure is the same between six and seven, now the bull judgments, there's another interlude in the narrative. And so as this chart shows in Revelation 16, 13 through 16, God gives an interlude in the the narrative, almost to let us catch our breath. But again, He's unfolding for us some critical things that have been happening and something that is going to happen. Now, there's an intensity in which these judgments come across the planet. Jesus, in the Olivet Discourse, likened them to a woman in labor. Labor pains increase in frequency and in intensity. And so, in the sealed judgments, they affected one quarter of the earth. When you came to the trumpet judgments, they influenced one third of the earth. But when you come to the bold judgments, they affect the entire planet. So here they are together in this final chart, just for your preview here. The next event is the rapture, it could happen today. Nothing has ever needed to be fulfilled since the day of Pentecost for the catching of the church to take place. The second coming is a prophecy-driven event. All kinds of things have to happen, like the one world leader in his one world religion and one world government that we're going to be studying in the 17th and 18th chapters. Those are things that have never happened. They're going to happen. And of course, when you see events in our day fulfilling prophecy for the second coming, you know the rapture is that much closer. So the rapture happens. There's a space of time. Maybe it's hours, maybe it's days, maybe a few weeks, but it's very quickly as the opening verse of the Revelation tells us. Very quickly, then this world leader comes on the scene and he signs a peace treaty, so to speak, with the people of Israel. He's some kind of an agreement with Israel. And it starts the clock for a seven-year period. That seven-year period is divided into two halves. It's described as three and a half years, time times and half a times, 42 months, 1260 days, Two even periods. In the first half of the tribulation period, the seal judgments are unfolding. Right in the middle of the tribulation, there is an event that takes place that the prophet Daniel wrote about that Jesus references in Matthew 24 called the abomination of desolation. And The Antichrist will walk into a rebuilt temple up there in the Temple Mount. Some of you have been with me to Israel. You've seen the actual architectural plans for the next temple there in the Temple Institute. You've seen all the priestly garments that have been remade. You've seen all the furniture that have been reconstructed. There are Jewish men who identify themselves as Levites, who are out in the fields outside of Jerusalem, who are actually practicing the sacrificial system. The only thing they lack is the temple. But God is going to rebuild that temple. It will be up and running by the middle of this tribulation. I suspect it will not start until the church is raptured. The Antichrist will go in, he will claim to be God, he'll commit a horrendous act of idolatry with a statue, and then wrath like the world has never seen will begin to unfold. Culminating in the seventh bowl that a short time later brings the second coming of Christ to the earth. Now let's zoom in on chapter 17, where we are today. I'm sure the Apostle John was awed as God allowed him to see in this vision these bloody waters, both fresh in the oceans of the world, these loathsome sores, these intense. expressions of the sun's heat that caused blisters all over the body, the blinding darkness where you could see nothing, and a global earthquake. And then he caps it all off with hundred-pound hailstones that come out of heaven. And then God pulls him aside, chapter 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me saying, come here, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, we learn here that one of the seven angels, we were introduced to them in chapter 15. Seven angels each have a bold judgment. And one of the seven angels pulls John aside, and he introduces him to this one called the great harlot. She's titled in verse 5, the mother of harlots. She's known as Mystery Babylon. Babylon. Babylon is very, very important in the Word of God. And so in Revelation 17 and 18, he's going to show us two expressions of this place called Babylon. There's Mystery Babylon, which is a religious entity that will express itself during this time frame. And then there's Political Babylon. And the Antichrist is going to use the religious systems that are going to unite to pull together these political systems. And so, there's this religious city, and we're gonna read in the 17th chapter over the next several weeks why God hates it, and then this economic system in the 18th chapter that likewise is headed for destruction. And by the way, Babylon, the subject Babylon, as a major portion of the book of Revelation. There's 404 verses in the book of Revelation. 44 of them are in reference to Babylon. That's 11% of the book. So for God to commit 11% of the book to this one system called Babylon, you know it's got to be pretty important to Him. In fact, there are two cities mentioned more in the Bible than any other cities. One is Jerusalem, and the other is Babylon. The first time Jerusalem appears is in Genesis chapter 14. The last time it appears is in Revelation chapter 21. It's mentioned over 800 times in the Old and in the New Testament. And Jerusalem is a unique city in the plan and purposes of God. Listen to what the Psalmist said in Psalm 132, for the Lord, for Yahweh has chosen Zion. Many of you know that Zion is one of the titles, one of the names that God gives for the city of Jerusalem. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. In fact, Jerusalem is the only city in all the Bible that you're commanded to pray for. Psalm 122:6. 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. I know we have these politicians that hate Israel today, and they hate Jerusalem. But God loves Jerusalem. And if you're against Jerusalem, you're against Israel, and if you're against Israel, you are coming under what God warned in Genesis chapter 12. Those who bless Abraham, I will bless. Those who curse Abraham, I will curse. When you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you are praying for the Messiah to return because there will only be peace in Jerusalem when Jesus comes back. But Jerusalem is special in God's sight. In 2nd Chronicles 6, he said, "I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there." The psalmist said in Psalm 46, "There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places" Of the Most High. And that's why Psalm 87:3 refers to Jerusalem as the city of God. Nehemiah, Isaiah, and Matthew all call it the holy city. Because Jerusalem is by the, the holy city, the capital of Israel. By extension, we often refer to Israel as the holy land. And it is a holy city. It's the place where Jesus ministered in the temple. It was the place there on Mount Moriah where he was crucified. It was the place where he was raised from the dead. Jerusalem is the city in which Jesus ascended physically, bodily into heaven, and it is the same place that he will return to at his second coming. In Ezekiel chapter 5, when God looks down on the planet, we read, Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her at the center of the nations with lands around her. When God looks out on planet Earth, he doesn't see the United States of America as we'd have on those flat relief maps years ago growing up in school as the center of the world. He sees Jerusalem as the center of the nations of this world. Jerusalem is the apple of His eye, and someday when God makes a new heaven and a new earth, this planet that we're sitting on this morning is going to be totally destroyed. God will make a new heavens and a new earth, and the holy city, the new Jerusalem, will literally come down as we're going to study, and it's going to become the capital city of this new heaven and the new earth. Now, I know Jerusalem, Yerah Shalem, Yerah means foundation or vision, Shalem, Shalom, means peace, and so when we speak of Jerusalem, we're speaking of the foundation of peace. It doesn't seem like a very peaceful place. It's been attacked over 40 times, totally decimated 18 times. But in God's mind, it is the place of peace because it was there that His only Son shed His innocent blood so that you could have peace with God. Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Now, you may be here this morning, and in your heart, you don't know the peace of God. That's not what Paul is speaking of. He's speaking about peace through God. In the 10th verse of this same chapter, he says, before you're born again, you are an enemy of God. The Scripture says once we've reached that age of accountability, we are by nature children of wrath. And so you don't have peace with God if you don't know Christ, if you are not a member of His kingdom, and you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. To the Colossians, Paul wrote these words, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. There is no more important city on the face of the earth than Jerusalem, not Washington, not Rome, not Moscow, not Paris, not Tokyo. No city more important than Jerusalem. It is the city of God. But there's coming a city known as Babylon, a real physical locale that we're going to study, and God isolates for us where it is located. And it is not the city of God, it is the city of man. And let me say parenthetically that Babylon is the second most prominently featured city in all the Bible. It's mentioned over 300 times. The first time you read of Babylon is in Genesis chapter 10. The last time is when you come to Revelation chapter 18. The city of Jerusalem represents the plans and purposes of God. The city of coming Babylon represents the plans and purposes of man. And so today is a foundational sermon. We're going to study the place called Babylon, its significance, its typology, and it will lay the foundation for the next couple of months as we work through chapters 17 and 18. So to help us this morning, hold your finger here and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 10. You need to go there, Genesis chapter 10. Our English Bibles take the first five books of the Bible, and we title them from the Greek terms that are found in the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint. Of course, the Jews, they read Hebrew. And so the five titles of the first five books in their Bible are different from ours. Same Bible, same books, different titles. They don't call it Genosius in Greek, which means Beginnings. They call it Bereshit. And they take the first five titles from the first five books from the first verses in each of those five books. So the very first word in the Bible is Bereshit. It means in the beginning. And critical to understanding the whole of the Scripture is to understand Genesis and Acts. Genesis gives us in kernel form all of the great doctrines in the Word of God. God in kernel form reveals all of His plans for mankind. And so, if you can understand the book of Genesis, it will open up the whole of Scripture to you. Someone called on the Bible line from Maine the other day, and they said, well, we're trying to study the Word of God as a family, and what books should we learn? I said, you should learn Genesis, you should learn Acts, and you should learn Romans. If you can get those three books under your belt with your family, and they're all online at searchthescriptures.org, that will really open the Word of God to you. Now, it's interesting, in Genesis chapter 10, you have the table of the nations, and there's a writing style that you see often employed not just by Moses, but other writers in the Old Testament, where they'll describe an event, and then they'll go back and they'll tell you how that event came to take place. And so, for instance, in Genesis 10 you have all these languages, all these nations of the world. And if you know anything about Genesis chapter 10, it is a critical chapter in the Bible. But when you come to Genesis 11, then he's going to explain to you how the events of Genesis 10 took place. Now if you remember in chapter 9 in verse 1, Noah comes off the ark and God commands him and his family, be fruitful and multiply. And while I'm mentioning that, let me just say, I know global warming is a huge issue in our day. And if you were not here last week, in the message before that, we discussed it in detail. But God promises that there's not going to be some global meltdown on the planet. We're not going to be overrun by water. You're not going to drown in your backyard with ocean lakes. I promise you that will not happen. You say, on what authority? On the authority of the Word of God. God said in Genesis 8, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. As long as man is here on planet earth until Jesus comes back and ultimately creates a new heaven and a new earth, the normal cycles of seed time and harvest will take place, period. And in spite of the doomsayers, And in spite of the indoctrination that is going on with our young children in the government school system across America, most parents don't have any idea what their kids are being taught. There is a system of doctrine that is undermining the authority of God's Word. God is the creator to get people to worship Mother Nature instead of Father God. But God is clear, summer and winter, day and night will continue, period. We're not going to lose that. Now, with that said, it doesn't dismiss us of being responsible stewards of the creation. But that should not be your focus as a believer. Your focus should be on preaching the gospel.
1: To listen again to today's message from Revelation 17 titled Religious Babylon, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV47. Search the Scriptures is heard on a large number of radio stations through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you'd like to be a part of STS through supporting this ministry, call 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow, part two of Religious Babylon. Join us then as we search the scriptures.